0: Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba new news. Mm-hmm. Scuba Obsessed episode 197 was recorded live April 17th, 2014. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, and joining me this week has become our habit. We have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac?
1: I'm here and glad to be here, and ain't no snow, so it's a go.
0: I'm all in on that. And also joining us this week, we have Jim
2: Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just great.
0: And uh, we're going At to try
2: something. that's what I'm going to keep telling myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you say it enough, it's got to be true. You'll believe yep. it.
2: The power of positive confusion.
0: Exactly, almost like
1: the government.
2: I was going to say,
1: they consider that propaganda, (laughs) though,
0: right? Yeah, it seems to be how it works. So we're going to do things a little differently this week. I apologize to anybody who jumped in the chat room, but uh, the audio connection with TalkShoe has been so bad. Uh, We're going to skip it this week and see how it goes. So we'll try and come up with another method for connecting everybody later on down the road, but we'll skip it this time. So, unfortunately, there's nobody to paste any show notes to. Maybe what we'll do is we'll have to come up with another way. Maybe we'll still have a live chat room. Or um, I I still got to figure out another way of of sending the audio somehow. Um, Because it's nice having the live chat room. Keeps us awake. As if the news couldn't do it. So, let's go ahead and jump right on into scuba news. First article up is we have stand-up paddling is causing some waves. Majority of the Laguna Beach Planning Commission proved... Reluctant to restrict the hours of commercial stand up paddle groups can do business on water. Uh, members agreed that the city should work with such operators as well as lifeguards to improve safety. Commissioners on Wednesday heard testimony from residents that stand up and uh, stand up paddle board business owners and surfers about the proposed ordinance would require instructors to have CPR and first aid certification as well as an operator's permit. law would require a maximum of four to one student ratio along the water. The ordinance would only apply to commercial institutions. The city staff recommend the rules which would limit the number of stand-up paddlers in the water at one time from a single business. This is intended to address the increased popularity of the sport. Lifeguards contend that monitoring and sometimes rescuing the the paddlers diverts attention from swimmers. The city recommends limiting the hours of the instruction from 7 a.m. to 7 to 10 a.m. from June 15th through September 15th, but the business owners balked. Uh, Rod Greenup, who owned Laguna Beach-based Costa Azul Surf and Paddle since 1991, argued that restricting outers would hinder overall safety because fewer instructors would be available to help if needed. The independent paddlers would not be limited to the ability to enjoy the water. Okay, I've got a question. If I'm running a business, why is my business relying on the the, uh, lifeguards to save the people who I'm training?
1: One, uh, there's several items. I I agree with you. It's got nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, that one comment they had. Uh, and my grandson's nine years old. Last year he saved three children because the lifeguards were doing something about a stand-up paddler not on the right side. Maybe that's like you know you got the swimming area with the buoy on the other side is the boat launch and all this. Yeah. That's what I understand this to be. So he came in on the swimmer side. So the lifeguard is helping a paddler. But like you're saying, if I've got students as a instructor, one, if you fall off a paddle board, all you got to do is grab the paddle board, right? You've got built. I mean, you've got flotation right there. Yeah. So I I don't know what this. You got to help these guys.
0: Yeah. So it's it's kind of you're using the you know, the city to subsidize your training program. I mean, we're, we're not
2: saying... Well, like, that's, that's if you're utilizing the lifeguards.
1: I mean, the lifeguard is there to save a person, regardless of the reason. Right. And if they're saying they're spending all their time dragging out guys who fell off their paddle boards, that's, that's a different issue. And then again, I looked at their... They want to make stand-up instruction two hours, seven to ten, or three hours. That's it's crazy. Why can't you do it in the middle of the day? That gets nuts. Now, the aspect about CPR and first aid, you know, you got the two aspects. What about responsibility for yourself? Why is it always up to somebody else to be prepared to take care of your life?
0: Yeah, well, the paddleboard instructor is only there to show you how to do paddleboard, not there to teach how to swim.
1: And it's like, well, if that's true, then everybody who participates in swimming has to watch over their neighbor. Therefore, they should be CPR qualified first aid qualified and maybe they shouldn't be allowed in the water if they can't swim to begin with yeah well well, how what happened to the buddy system well that was the other aspect if you're paddle boarding don't you have a friend by you and he has a pole so if he sat on his on his board extended the pole to even if you're a couple of feet away and the other would you be out there on a paddle board in the ocean without a life vest if you're learning how to do that because First time I've been on sailboards and stuff, I couldn't even stand up on the damn thing. I was overboard. Right. You know. Now I well, have a wetsuit so, on, no, no preserver, but I'm not going to sink with my wetsuit on.
2: You know, Jim, it, it you sounds like a Coast Guard. It sounds to me like a Coast Guard regulation. I think you're right. If you're going to go out there on a paddleboard, you know, or uh, you know, how does that differ from a boat? Well, if you, you say know, that, I though, you're going to have to say surfboard.
1: Else. Surfboarders don't have life slight... Uh,
0: yeah, it's really a stand-up paddleboard, uh-huh. just a surfboard, a bigger one. Yeah,
1: yeah. Huh. But that is an interesting part because as a kayaker, uh, it's strongly recommended. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think it is law to have a vest on.
2: Well, does your kayak have to have a registration number?
1: Mine does not, but yeah. I think if you're a commercial operation renting them, I believe they do. But I'm, I'm not sure about that one here in Michigan.
0: Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's just a mess. <laughs>
1: It's one of those, it sounds like a good idea, but I I don't know. The ratio of 4 to 1, I've never taught that, but 4 to 1 probably sounds reasonable. But then again, you know, how deep is the water? What are the water conditions? You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, what type of instruction are you doing at that point? I mean, I could see there there could be certain parts of the training where you could have 30 to 1, 40 to 1, and that'd be fine. There's going to be other parts where you might need to have 2 to 1.
1: The other aspect, I'm curious, why would you learn to do a paddleboard, learn to do a paddleboard in the ocean where you have waves and current as opposed to on a river or a pond or a inland lake where it's flat initially to get your sea legs and then move out to something like the ocean?
0: Yeah, I, I have no idea. Maybe because that's, people will pay for it. Maybe it's an impromptu thing. People just show up. I mean, I don't understand the, I mean, we got paddleboarding here in Michigan. Uh I oh, don't know. I I don't think I've seen paddleboard ins- instructors out there in the Silver Beach.
1: No, it's usually here. You go. Here's your board. Here's your stick. And I'm not even sure if they require you to rent a, uh, a vest.
0: No, I I don't think so.
1: Well, I'll make a point look into it this spring whenever we're out there with the kayaks. I'm curious now. Yeah.
0: So since we're on that uh, registration talking about, we have Ontario. You have some people who are upset over diving regulations. Uh, put into place by the Ministry of Labour, and uh, that's the, Can- the Canadian Association of Diving Contractors (CADC) has voiced disappointment with the recent regulatory amendment made by the Ministry of Labour, particularly to exemptions for aquarium divers who are not required to wear certain equipment or meet the same training requirements as a as an unrestricted diver. They said the, the key main item
1: prob- there is the key item is contractor meaning commercial, commercial. yeah it goes yep. under different items because the CDC of, our, of uh, or the ADC in America uh, you fall under the commercial requirement of uh, OSHA my OSHA yep and it it is totally different than non commercial and right. I can I can see what they're saying here yeah
0: but are they upset because people who are working in aquariums aren't going full commercial
2: yes that appears to be the message in the article they're saying that you know they it sounds like the industry is trying to protect its jobs
0: well certainly but do they really need to have the same amount of training if how, how deep is the deepest aquarium It's like
1: pool cleaning. Should you be a commercial diver to do a pool cleaning? Or if you do commercial pool cleaning, are you a commercial diver? Right. And if you are, you can't do it because you couldn't afford to do it No. (laughs) of the rules and regulations for it.
0: Yeah, well, there's people who do pool repair with scuba gear.
1: I I, that's my point. I have friends who do that. They're not commercial divers. They do not go into OSHA, my OSHA or otherwise. Yet the way they read this, if you're commercial and you're doing diving, then you need to be under the requirements of the ADC and our OSHA and my OSHA.
2: Well, what constitutes commercial? If someone's paying me to look for a lost ring, is that commercial?
1: See, that's that's interesting. If I, and we both, or all of us have been in that position. Some calls me, hey Mac, I lost my glasses, I go find them. Do I have to pay something to become a commercial diver overnight to do that? Or, it's, it's an interesting little slope there. Well, maybe
0: it could just be like a little fee. You know, as long as they got their cut, they'd be okay. <laughs> that's
1: what it is. They want their cut.
2: Well, like, yeah, for this Canadian situation, that certainly is what it sounds like, yeah
0: uh, but with the but,
2: you know we, we've we've definitely hit on an interesting subject of what constitutes a commercial diver. I mean, I was a volunteer diver three weeks ago. well, Darren, you and I both were, yeah, volunteer divers on a, an operation that you know was definitely a commercial operation, even though there was no funds being exchanged. Right, you know, it, it, you, you get into some some strange ones. Mac and I ran into a situation over in Chicago where you know, we were trying to inspect the bottom of Friends Goodwill and clean water instead of being in the river and, you know, Coast Guard uh, in the city of Chicago. All but, well, they pulled it. They basically ordered us out of the water because we weren't. Meeting all the commercial requirements, including having Actually, the permits, we did
1: meet all. We yeah, we didn't have their paperwork signed, but everything they identified, meaning divers, instructor, a medic, everything, we met. We just didn't have their yeah. paperwork.
2: Yeah, So
0: how did they how did they find you? I mean, were they just saw divers in the water and went
1: nuts. Dive flag.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: That's yeah, that's probably one for another time, but I could. You know, it, it makes me wonder why, are the, why is the Coast Guard being the enforcement of that? Is that their jurisdiction?
2: Yeah, yeah, because it was a commercial boat we were diving on. So Coast French Guard commercial v- boat. Vessel. It's a Coast Guard inspected vessel.
0: Ah, uh, because it can carry passengers. That's right. Right. Okay, but the the thing on the aquarium is that anyhow they're, that they're uh, they're trying to to say that uh, by letting them bypass some of those rules, and they're leaving them open to do other dangerous activities, which uh, may be a stretch. They said aquarium diver must still meet a majority of the comp- com- uh, competencies of a restricted diver, but the training is done in-house rather than open water, as well as a maximum depth of the aquarium facility is less demanding. There's less risk to an aquarium diver. It's a different environment, different hazards. So the exemptions were made, said the MOL provincial specialists. Also, through the process we confirm with Legislation Council, they have the final say before it's passed. And then in Florida, two months after being postponed a decision on the regulation of the harvest of Florida's sea cucumbers, it has come up again, and uh, there was a decision made. Sea cucumber, a long and lumpy invertebrate, is extremely popular in Asia, particularly China, where it's used to treat joint pain. uh, And also, as an aphrodisiac, the demand is so heavy that worldwide, 20% of Sea cucumber fisheries have been fully depleted. For decades, divers in Florida who had strapped on scuba gear to collect the uh, saltwater or aquarium also scooped up the occasional sea cucumber. In 2012, they collected about 14,000 of them. Last year, Florida's sea cucumber catch more than tripled, hitting 54,000. And this is according to Melissa Rex of the State Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. They said except for acquiring a uh, license to collect the cucumbers, they had no other regula- regulations governing them. They said that a sudden jump in the harvest alarm, the Florida Marine Life Association, which represent people who collect saltwater fish, so many sea cucumbers are being harvested in Costa Rica, Ecuador, India, and eight other countries that the population collapsed. So the Florida Marine Life Association asked the state wildlife officials to set a limit of 200 sea cucumbers per boat per trip. The commissioners initially approved the limit in February, but they backpedaled and delayed a vote until April to try and work out a compromise with Lee, who happens to be a, uh, let's see, what, he owns Eric Lee of uh, Florida Sea Cucumber Corp of Raymond Key. Uh, he said they, they back paddled uh, trying to come up with a compromise. Uh, he was seeking a limit of 500 to 800 sea cucumbers per boat trip. Lee said he's met with the staff, but they failed to work out a deal both sides could accept. Uh, Ruck presented two options Wednesday. The original proposal limiting boat to 200 sea cucumbers or setting a limit of 500 per boat per trip until the harvest hits 150,000 for the year, at which point the limit would be cut to 50 per boat. With no discussion, the Wildlife Commission voted to impose the industry-backed limit of 200 per boat per trip, uh, which upset Lee. He says it's hard for me to accept being put out of business by a rule of regulation. It hasn't been fully researched. Well,
1: one, didn't it just say there's only one processor on the East coast for sea cumbers? Yeah. Yeah,
2: He's the only one. Yep.
1: So it's like, and number two, this was Florida, right? Yeah. And this guy's not even in Florida, right? No, I think or he is in Florida. Florida. Okay. How do they know how many are taken if individuals also collect them? So are they based it basically, basically on what he harvests?
0: Yeah. I they don't, they don't give you any information. And it sounds like it wasn't really even that monitored until these other fisheries got depleted and the demand went up. So probably the price went up to the point where it made sense uh, for people who wouldn't normally take the time to harvest them to harvest them. And uh, somehow the, the state got onto this and kind of got nervous because of the increased take that was being consumed. But why can't they do a study? Why could not they be continuously doing studies?
1: Because it
2: costs money to do studies.
0: Yeah.
1: I was just looking up sea cucumber. It can be processed into biscuits, which is an English term. I don't think they mean biscuits like Americans do. Chips, jelly, noodles, and pickles. The demand for smoked dried or seed dried cucumbers is high in Asian countries and in other places are now developing a taste uh, for them. Uh, one of the most valuable marine invertebrates, uh, really good food, whatever the heck that meant. 100 species found in the Philippines, only 50 are commercially value of commercial value. So it's quite interesting looking at what they do with them and what they make out of them. Has anybody ever tasted one?
0: No, I've I've never had one.
1: No. There's a Facebook page. Well, I've got to be for something different, though, for sea cucumbers.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd be I'd be afraid to to do a Google search on something like this. You never know what you're going to get.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I, you know, it, it seems like they're trying to adopt uh, something similar to like what they do with uh, crab legs or not crab legs, but the whole crab. Actually, they just don't count their legs. Uh, where they they set up a total amount that can be taken throughout the year. But before you can even make a decision, you have to know what your population is.
1: Uh, it's also, how do they collect them? Or do they net them, trowel the bottom, or you have to pick them up by hand? I think they pick them, them up the by depth? hand. And, you know, what's the depth? And, again, if this guy is processing them, how many people go out and do this commercially? Obviously not too many.
0: Well, I think that's why he's fighting this because, I mean, obviously he's got a business interest. But if you've only got a few boats and you're limiting them to, you know, 200 a time out, and say you're only making 80 bucks or 100 bucks on a trip at 200, where maybe you make four or 500 on a trip with more. Uh, that's what he's probably talking about yeah. putting them out of business because if you can't recover your costs, then it doesn't make sense.
1: Ugly looking things, though, aren't they? Yeah.
0: Well, because you look at it, they said uh, 150000 per year. So that would be, you know, at 500 per boat, that's 300 trips out. Yeah. So I don't know how long the season is for them, if it's all year round or. If there's a limit,
1: I don't know. Interesting.
0: Well, also, I don't know. Is it practical to collect 500 on a trip out? I mean, it is laying there like you're picking up firewood, or do you have to hunt for them?
1: Yeah, like lobsters. Yeah, you got to do something. Let me look here. I was just looking here under Rutgers, uh, and here they're saying Florida is capping the number of sea cucumbers that fishermen can pull from state waters after blooming Asian demand led to four times as many being harvested in 2013. The leathery, slender, cylindri- cylindrical creatures scour ocean floors, feeding on decayed matter. Uh, they're sought after, like you were saying, for anything from aphrodisiacs to joint pain. I seem to get a lot of people to buy them. <clears throat> yeah. And like it said in that article, over-harvesting has destroyed the populations in a dozen countries. Okay, here's what I was looking for. Uh, sea cucumbers sell for $5,000 per – how much? How much do you think per pound, guys? It's $5,000 per –
0: Ton. Ton.
1: Pound. According to this one in, the, in China, it talked about sea cucumbers from the Caribbean can fetch 70 to $150 per pound. Yet, in most parts of the United States, it's a dollar. So it's got to be the availability, but damn! If I could get five thousand per pound, or even one hundred and fifty a pound, you can see the draw for that. Yeah. Well, um, it seemed like if Lee you had the, been planning the, the the other one here for Florida said Lee had been planning a major marketing effort to introduce Florida sea cucumbers to China, selling them at two hundred dollars a pound. Hmm. Not a bad thing for how many? How many cucumbers? One hundred and fifty thousand. One hundred fifty thousand. How do they
0: weigh? I would say there would be, be about a pound a piece, looking way. at the photo. Maybe even more than that. Well, let's find out. Because in that photo, it looks to be about the size of a you know half-liter bottle of pop or soda.
1: Well, the largest can reach one meter in length.
0: A meter in length? Oh, well, I guess you yes. stretch them out.
1: <laughs> yeah, you got some serious poundage here, I think. I'm looking, I still haven't found one that gives me the average weight.
0: I guess at a meter in length, that's where the aphrodisiac idea comes in.
1: It very well could be. <laughs> uh. They're in some of them. You can find them in a thousand feet of water. Actually, no, a thousand meters.
0: So really, at all depths. Yeah, I just don't know enough about them to to say one way or the other. But right, it seems like they'd almost be self-limiting to an extent if you've got to pick them by hand and you're limited to diving depths.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, somebody t- out there will know what they actually weigh and be able to tell us. Yeah,
0: somebody would have to. I'm I'm going to guess pound and a half to two pounds is going to be average. Yeah, uh,
1: it's not the two-foot ones. Yep. Yeah.
0: Uh, astronaut Buzz Aldrin has uh, become an aquanaut in Dubai. The 84 year old scuba loving astronaut is a keen diver and heard about uh, diving programs. He joined us to help us launch an exciting program. It's great to have him at the Atlantis Mission Control, a hotel spokesman told Express. So, the Atlantis Hotel in Dubai. Aldrin is the second person to have walked to the moon and it was a lunar. Uh, Module pilot in Apollo 11, the first manned lunar landing in history, set first to the moon in July 21st, 1969. I'm trying to figure out what he's doing there. He just, did he just go to, to do some diving?
2: Uh, sounds like he went to do some diving and has kind of become a, a celebrity there. I don't know if there's an endorsement or not, but it certainly looks like there could be where he's getting an endorsement to, uh, to be there.
0: I'm going to guess so. I mean, he's a celebrity well, would in this Yeah, The Atlantis, meet...
2: the Atlantis, Paul. Yeah, would you go to Dubai. meet him?
1: Yeah, I probably would. I mean, if I was there, I would I mean, go on hi. everybody yeah. knows Armstrong, but who knew? Who knew Buzz?
2: He's the one that landed the the limb, the lunar module. He was the pilot, and, and,
0: and he had that sidekick, Woody.
2: No, that's a different Buzz Aldrin. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Well, Are you talking about
0: sea cucumber again? <laughs> sea cucumbers?
1: Well, you said Woody. I was just curious. <laughs> oh.
0: Oh, uh, I I need to get this. I need to get my soundboard working.
1: I'm just repeating what you said. I I, you know, I, I don't know. Squirrel.
0: <sighs> okay, now this next one we have somebody who's oh, who there, wants there, to. There is
2: a second. There is a second image there. Second image. Yeah, on that that site, you website, it talked about the article. Uh huh. Uh, You can click and get a second image, and it shows him and some other people underwater. And down at the bottom, it talks about prices. And a basic dive is 950 dirhams. And a United Arab Emirate dirham, the current conversion is 3.375. So that means it's about $75 for a dive.
0: That's not bad. That for a resort dive? Oh, uh, If it comes in mm. gear. Yep. Well, Buzz has had underwater experience, of course.
1: You know that. Yeah. Well, they, they said he was an avid diver. Sure.
2: Well, yeah. all the and all the weightless the weightlessness training they do is underwater training.
1: That yep. was my point. If he wasn't, that's where he would have got hooked.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, next time I'm in Dubai, I'll stop by the Palm and check it out.
1: Yeah, I, I'll just jump off one of those towers and land over where they're where they're diving.
0: Yeah, yeah you go have a have a dinner and. You yeah, drive a sports car while you're there?
2: Uh, yeah. And make sure my martini is shaken and not stirred.
0: Well, this uh, next article is talking about a couple who's trying to start a dive business. Said they were hooked when they were young. When I was seven years old, I went to the marine land in Palos Verdes and fell in love with the Baja Reef. I did my first scuba dive in Hawaii when I was eight, and I was hooked. He's led a life spent in and on the sea. He's a commercial diver as well as a commercial dive medic, scuba instructor, U.S. Navy veteran and a builder and designer scuba equipment he has a company called titan dive gear he says i built my dive gear business building rebreathers without loans or banks from the ground up so we want to do that here so they're in the early planning stages of of starting a new uh dive business he is using uh, crowdfunding via internet to create a new kind of uh family snorkel and scuba diving center in uh, ventura county just outside uh moore park on Highway 23. I have no idea where that is. I'm, a, I'm assuming we're talking West Coast here?
1: I uh, don't know. but then it was, Looks like it. Yeah.
0: This facility will be called the Oceana Dive Center. It will be an edu- educational dive center where people can be certified and scuba diving in the realistic environments of three different pools. The largest is 120 feet long, 80 feet wide, 40 feet deep. It will be filled with fish, synthetic coral, and ocean environment. The tank bred fish will be from tropical regions such as Florida Keys and Caribbean. Leave will stock it with Florida lobster and you can go fishing for lobster and we'll cook it for you while you're diving. Most of the seagoing life has has been spent in Florida and the Caribbean where the diving experience, he said, is far different from the Pacific Ocean. The Pacific is very cold, water is very murky, and inconsistent. Currents are strong, you usually have to go away from the coast for a dive, so you're spending a lot of time in a boat, not in the water. And the second pool will be for snorkeling. It'll be 12 feet deep with shallow water for those who aren't certified but want to try. They'll have an island in the middle of the pool where a place where the, the host events like birthday parties, things like that. Third party is simply for swimming, diving, and having fun. Uh, maybe Navy veteran wants to wa- also wants to bring in the Wounded Warriors Project and get it up to the next level. He'll offer to take military veterans who have been wounded in action and certify them in scuba as, and as dive instructors free of charge. The couple needs a minimum of $1 million to get started, and that's where the crowdfunding comes in. Using the power of the Internet, they're hoping to uh, let people decide if they want to give them help with the idea.
1: That's it. I, I, I like the idea. I looking up tight gear.
0: That Titan dive gear is what you're checking on?
1: I was trying to look that up, and the site I went to then put me to another site called Bubble Something, and then it, I lost it. Uh, I, I think know. it's
0: divetitan.com, and he's using Indiegogo to uh, help fund that.
1: Huh. I'm just curious if he made his gear or what.
0: Well, he's saying that he engineered well, went- rebreathers, built them himself.
1: Well, that's what I was curious. If, did he do that from you know from uh, the bottom line of, of making his own?
0: Well, when you look at Titan dive gear, they have products, which is rebreather, rebreathers, hydrolights, custom hose, and apparel. So he's got two rebreathers, the Titan CCR and the Reactor O2.
1: <laughs> it looks a lot like Bob's old unit.
0: Yeah, it looks like a, a KISS type of mm-hmm. setup. And it, I mean, not criticizing, but does, you can kind of see somebody building that when you look at the design. Kind of very industrial in a, mm-hmm. uh, God, I want to say cyberpunk, but that's not what it is. Steampunk type of look to it.
1: I just wasn't familiar. I mean, that sounded familiar, but I really wasn't sure. So I got it.
0: Yeah, you got to get somebody credit who can do a business like that and get it up and running.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Probably the only way you could do it is not to get funding.
1: Well, mm-hmm. like when I went to that class a couple of years ago, they were saying in the in the South, meaning South America, and the islands, a lot of the places where they start out to you know learn to scuba dive, they do it with CCR gear because then they don't have to train you different, meaning like your scuba. Now I'll convert you to rebreather. They start you on rebreather, and scuba is not an issue because if you got your bailout, you're already familiar with scuba. Right. So yeah. it's sort of interesting, but it's got to be high-end dive training, I would think.
0: Yeah, you got to have a little bit of money there.
1: Well, we know the maintenance on them is a lot more, and the people running aren't going to be doing the maintenance. So yeah. it seems like it's going to be a little bit labor-intensive for the, the the shopkeepers, and you definitely want a gear man yep. for setup and and clean up. They don't say how much they charge, do they?
0: For these rebreathers?
1: Well, for the class, I'd be very curious in that.
0: No. He didn't, he didn't have anything along those lines. I think. I don't even think they're that point yet.
1: Yeah. I'll need a million to get started, so crop funding comes in.
0: Well, you look at that. That's, well, if you can. You know, 120 I'm foot saying, by 80 foot by 40 foot deep. I mean, that's a serious
1: pull. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I kind of wonder if you could make a go with something like that in this area.
1: No. No. <laughs> well, again, with the cost. Well, you got that thing on last month, the big dome covered item, like they have in Germany. And you yeah. go inside, and it's like a tropical resort. Yep. Well, they make a go of it, but that's a little different.
0: Yeah. Well, that's they're they're doing everything there. I mean, they're they're yeah, doing like, dinners, they're doing drinks. It's a bar. It's a beach. It's a water park.
1: Yeah. It it's a it's a destination. Yeah.
0: Well, that's how you had to do it. You'd have to be unique. You couldn't be one of twenty doing this. You'd have to be the one in the area.
1: Yeah. I'm not even sure why you'd need a second pool for snorkeling, though.
0: No. Well, I think because they want they don't want everybody to be in 40 feet deep. You know, they want 12 feet deep.
1: Take them out into the ocean.
0: Well, see, if if it was me, why not just do the pool and do another section and then have that little end be shallower? Yeah. You know, why not do it? Uh, let's see, what did they say the second pool was going to be? I don't think they gave a size. They said 12 feet deep. So why not just take the pool instead of 120 feet deep, you do it wow. you know, 200 feet.
1: Yeah, combine them into one and block it off, and then you got the slope. Yeah. What a hell of a pool.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty big one. You know, is it a pool, or do you just build up a wall and then flood it? <laughs> yeah. And then speaking of collecting funds, we have divers who are trying to raise 15000 to make a documentary about the hidden ancient underwater forest in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, they're enlisting the public's, health, public's health, help uh, from Kickstarter. So let's see, where are they now? Uh, pledges can go from $10 contribution up to a $2,000 pledge. And uh, so far they have 71 backers. They're at $11,131 of the $15,000 with 13 days to go. I think they're actually doing pretty good.
2: Sounds like they might make it.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I know when I originally posted the article about four days ago, they were only a few thousand dollars into it. So it's it's gone, gone up says, we're hoping to raise money for a documentary about the ancient cypress forest discovered off Alabama's coast. They said, so far the public has only seen a fraction of the footage we've shot and what scientists are working on with what has been discovered. We'll visit them in lab and examine ancient pollen under the electron microscope, complete uranium dating of the stumps, and analyze the trees themselves for hints of the past. Actually, I think the Kickstarter is a better article than, the, uh, than the, the news article.
1: I think the interesting part of that whole item was the, the reference that Hurricane Ivan, when it came through there, they had waves that were nearly 100 foot tall in the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. It said, uh, in the center of the Category 4 hurricane, winds ranging up to 150 were registered past right over six of the Naval Research Laboratory's wave tide gauges, training up waves more than 90 feet high. Wasn't so I can there... see how that could scour the bottom.
0: Yeah. Wasn't there something saying that... Uh... Hundred-foot waves were thought to be impossible, though fairly recently.
1: No, they that, they were talking about freak waves. There were, you know, where they said people saw in the Atlantic and Pacific. Well, the boat got done by a freak wave and it had to be 150 foot high, and that used to get poo-pooed a lot uh-huh. until some of the new radar and the satellites were picking up and saying, "Oh, by the way, you got about 150 footer out here." And what the odd part was, there was no pattern to some of the wave actions, and they were not created by seismic events. And that's why people thought really it can't happen. And then they were finding out happens a lot more than you think it does. And the satellites were saying freak wave can happen just about anywhere. Wow.
0: Okay, I yeah, was confusing freak wave with just tall waves. Well, it looks like they're doing pretty good. You do that? They got a two thousand dollar backer. They've got uh, uh, four seven hundred dollar backers. Uh, with they only got six of those left. You want to get in on that deal. And you get the normal perks depending on your donation level. And then for our final news article, they have, uh, gosh, from the Mayo Advisor, a Killala dive site could be a wild Atlantic way attraction. They have plans to sink a warship to develop a top class diving attraction, and it's being floated again. Uh, the ship project was first mooted about a decade ago involving sinking a warship to create a man-made reef and underwater wreck to attract scuba diving to the region. Uh, one of the project's original promoters says the idea should be visited again and developed as part of the Wild Atlantic Way. Uh, they're planning on €640,000 Euros to create a discovery point at Down Patrick Head in North Mayo as part of the Wild Atlantic
2: Way.
1: Where is Mayo at? I have no idea. I should.
2: Sounds like it's over in... England.
1: Yeah, the wild Atlantic.
0: I was thinking it was Atlantic. I.E., is that Ireland as far as the country? Yeah, I think it's Ireland. Huh. Okay. Well, not my first thought of a diving location, but if they can get it, I'd come over.
1: Yeah, I'd like to dive Scapa Flow, too.
0: Yeah, a few good spots. Mm. Well, that does it for the news. We did have one of some photos, if you take a look at that link. And I had more than just underwater photos, which makes it even more interesting.
1: That first picture of the crystal cave. Yeah. It looks like he's got breathing gear on and I'm wondering why. Uh, that is a
0: very hot and slightly toxic air cave. I believe that one's in France. Ah, and I believe they only went in it once or twice and they since sealed it off. It went really deep. You just look at the size of those crystals. Uh, Oh, wait, this yeah, one's in Mexico. This one's saying... Uh,
1: man, can you imagine what that should run at the local market for crystals? <laughs> yeah.
0: Is it the crystal cave near Halua, Or is that pronounced Chihuahua? <laughs> I don't know. But that one's in Mexico. That's a different one than I was thinking of. Wow, look at the size of those, too. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to... Yeah,
2: that's huge.
1: Wow. And for yeah, those of you, you look who look at the size are, of the people? Who are just... Man, like, I'd like to have found that cave. Yeah.
0: I could imagine being the first one in there. Yeah.
1: It, 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 I mean, I look at it, I'm sort of mercenary. I'm just curious if they went cha-ching, cha-ching in your head. Yeah. Well, I mean, look,
0: there's there's a crystal, and this is like the log of a tree. I mean, the diameter of the crystal's got to be, just what we're seeing in the photo, 18 feet long and probably four feet in diameter. It's like a rod, and there's a dozen of them that appear to be there. Yeah. Okay, so it's the, called the Cave of Crystals or the Giant Crystal Cave. Uh, it's connected to the uh, Niekka Mine. 300 meters or 980 feet below the surface in Mexico. The main g- chamber contains giant selenite silen- uh, crystals, which is gypsum and some other stuff. A gypsum, uh, uh, C-A-S-O-4-2-H-2-O, some of the largest natural crystals ever found. Uh, the cave's largest crystal found to date is 12 meters or 39 feet in length, 4 meters or 13 feet in diameter and weighs 55 tons. They said the cave is extremely hot with air temperatures reaching 58 degrees Celsius or 136 degrees Fahrenheit with 90 to 99 percent humidity. The cave remains relatively unexplored due to these factors. Without proper protection, people can only endure uh, the cave for about 10 minutes at a time.
1: And do you know why it's so hot? I can tell you if you don't. I have no idea. Because it's right there on a natural fault and it's by an underground magna chamber meaning that's where the volcanoes explode from. The magna heated the groundwater, became saturated with minerals, including large quantities of gypsum. The hollow space of the cave was filled with mineral-rich hot water, remained for 500,000 years. It, uh, the temperature remained stable at 122 degrees, and that allowed the crystals to grow and form like that. That was discovered in 1910. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, um the giant crystal cave was 120 meters. In, yeah. So yeah. it's 120 meters down. And then it talks about the flooding of it, drilling to a fault might be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's quite interesting. And then they have samples on this uh, of the different crystals that they have taken out. And they're freaking amazing. Uh, I'll send you that link really quick because you might just want to look at it. Yeah, they,
0: they, they said the giant crystal cave was discovered in 2000. And they've discovered two other small caves also discovered in 2000, and a further chamber was found in a drilling project in 2009. Huh. The new cave now named Ice Palace, is 150 meters deep and is not flooded, but its crystal formations are much smaller with small cauliflower formations that's that's just that's like a career maker. you know you discover that and you just you've got something to work mm. on for the rest of your life.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah.
0: Then they've got the glowworm cave, which that looks like there's a little water in there. They all did, didn't they? Yeah, they all. Well, that one's even got a boat in it. Now, New Zealand, the cave houses thousands of thousands of glowworms that dangle from strands of silk to attract their prey using bioluminescence. Then you had the marble caves in Patagonia. It says 6,000 years of wave action crashing against calcium carbonate. And then they have the glacier cave, Vatnodjikvokal, in the glacier cave, the Icelandic ice cave. Amazing colors. I think I'd have a flame a little bigger than that. Yeah. And you've got the Orta Cave found in Russia's Ural region. We've seen that picture a lot of times, that really clear blue-looking water.
1: Yeah, magnificent.
0: Always makes a diver look like he's just floating. Uh, Well, that does it for Scuba News. Now, we had a uh, dive Club (laughs) meeting this week. Mud Club got together. That that was nice. Excellent turnout. You think that turnout was because of the uh, weather getting
1: nice? Uh, part of it, uh, I think part of it was, uh, well, we had our newer members come back, which is good. They gave them two more. And then we had a couple we haven't seen for, they do maybe an annual, pay uh-huh. their dues. And they're like a lot of older guys. Uh, they used to dive hot and heavy in the old days. And as they got older and, and by that over 70, uh, they still like to be members of the club just to keep tabs of what's going on. But they do not necessarily dive anymore. And we had a couple of them show up, which was nice. Yeah,
0: so, and then uh, Bob got to do some talking about his, his brand new rebreather, which makes me jealous.
1: Makes us all
2: jealous. Mm, sure does. And I, I thought
0: what was interesting about that is that, he, you know, his other one, you've got the two smaller tanks, and if you needed more dilutant or air for any reason, you had to go to, uh, you know, plumb something in. I, I like this new approach where you've got oxygen in the back, and it looks like you could— now, did he ever say what the volume of that oxygen tank would be?
1: Yeah, he was saying that, that was on, oh, the oxygen in front is mounted in the front, or let me rephrase no, that. No,
2: oxygen's, oxygen's, oxygen's in the back, dilutant right, goes that in was the front. 20, yeah.
1: And he said that was a 20 cubic foot.
2: Yeah,
0: so you could do an 80 for the dilutant and then a 20 for the oxygen, which I guess you don't really need a whole lot of dilutant either, really, do you?
1: Well, it depend, again, on your diving. You want to have enough that can get back up from where you're at in case you got yeah. deco.
0: Yeah, if you're going to use that, if that's your, your one of your bailouts, yeah. Which is, it, I, I liked how that uh, was set up for a little bit better than his, his current unit.
1: Well, different. I won't tell better. I'll say different. I think he does like the new switch arrangement, though, that he can go ahead from uh, closed to open circuit without having to take the mouthpiece out. Yeah. And that was a feature he really enjoyed or he liked having it. It
0: probably made a little sense.
1: Uh, talking about diving and or water-related, I, I think the biggest one right now is that latest ferry boat that turned over off of China.
0: Oh, my goodness. What a tragedy and, that is.
1: Well, especially when some of the survivors were saying, they said, don't get in the water yet, don't get in the water yet. And it's like, duh, if I got water coming in my window, I'm going to go out the freaking window. And then they had pictures on the news of it, like shades of Poseidon Adventure. They're on the outside hull hitting with hammers, seeing if anybody's in an air chamber of that one section that's out oh, of the water. Yeah. And then it's like, well, if you cut a hold there, you're going to let the air out, and then they're going to drown for sure if anybody's there.
0: Yeah, I. I, I have intentionally not followed it. <laughs> yeah, I want to let all the, the drama play out, and then I'll take a look, but that is just sad. But, yeah, they were going from uh, Seoul, South Korea, down to an island off the coast. So it seems like a long way to want to go by boat. The, seems like a boat ride, a uh, plane ride would be a little bit better way to go, but that's a common trip people take.
1: Yeah, there was, I think the biggest tragedy is how many students were on board. Oh, yes. I thought it was interesting the other day, too, if you look at the— Uh, post in different venues, they're saying, what do you see in the newspapers all the time anymore? And it's like they've been playing with that airplane wreck for a month.
0: Oh, yeah. It's a big, uh, I mean, everybody's interested in it. It's just. uh,
1: After a month, are you interested in it?
0: I wasn't interested in the beginning. I mean, it's a a little news story. Does it need a month of coverage? Let us know when you find it.
1: Yeah, I mean, how many trillion dollars are we in debt right now and things like that? You look at the items that really affect us. Man, they don't get any coverage unless no. it's an election. No.
0: Well, it's not even our plane. It's it's yeah. it's over in Asia. I mean, I'm okay with us, you know, volunteering some equipment and manpower to help them out. But, you know, we don't need every waking moment to be following this plane crash. We're not even sure if it crashed.
1: It's interesting. Yeah. But All the sinking is- ferry, I mean, that's... That's going to be another one to me, like the boat down there, you know, where the co the captain got a little bit too. Oh close yeah, to
0: the uh, oh um, coast of Concordia.
1: Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see where this one. I mean, I look at the pictures as it's sinking. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah. Well,
0: they they so, said uh, they were running along the water and then they heard a noise, and so it sounds like they ran into something, and then it started listing off to one side. Yeah, I just said, wonder if
1: the, it was a submarine or not.
0: Oh gosh, that would be. I guess it's possible.
1: Well, that's what I was curious. What's in the water and how deep is it? And it doesn't look too deep, though, because a part of it's still sticking up. Yeah, I don't there know if it's sticking up because there's theory. air
0: trapped or...
1: Well, I thought it was because part of it's on the bottom. Yeah. Well, it could but,
0: also be they, they hit an out rock outcropping and didn't realize it. Yeah,
1: it'd be interesting to know what happened. Yeah.
0: Well, and hopefully they learn something from it to, you know, to improve the situation for next time.
1: Well, if you look at the statistics for in Asia philippines and other places you just don't hear it over here because the americans aren't the ones drowning but hundreds of people and i mean hundreds lose their lives on ferry boat wrecks out there every every year yeah, yeah and again cause... it doesn't matter because there's no American on board yeah well and we don't
0: have uh the extent of ferry boats like they do plus i'd like to believe we've got some pretty decent maritime laws and experience doesn't make us yep. immune but
1: no, but down there, you know, it's like I don't have the money, and I'll do the best I can with how much I got, and they don't have the same laws to try to enforce it that way, so they pay Darwin. Yeah, well,
0: I, I've done some, uh, you know, every, I, I, I get in these kicks of trying to find a dive boat, and I'll, I'll get online and start looking, and you start looking at the 60-footers and the 100-footers and the 200-footers, and I notice a trend that as the boat gets older, it starts going to different ports and areas of the world. And still floats. So, yeah, you, you wonder at what time the uh, boat conditions get relaxed to the point where they become dangerous. Right. Well, anybody get any diving in?
1: Well, I didn't get right. wet, per se, but I went out and took pictures of Mr. Bob and Mr. Meester. When they uh, got out, we were going to be a pier dive. I was going to be a safety person on the pier. And instead, they went ahead and took the refitted out boat, and we launched over at the DNR. And uh, I think the most surprising part of the dive was water temperature.
0: Yeah. So, so what was that? the ice
1: just got, they were getting 48, 49 degrees Fahrenheit off the end of the pier's.
0: That does not even seem possible.
1: I, I, it, it sounded really, really nice. <laughs> I mean, that's almost wet to water.
0: Now, what do you think caused that? Is that the water coming down the river was that warm and it's just hanging there?
1: I really don't have a clue. It, I just, it's odd that it's that, that warm.
0: Well, I know when we get a little bit later in a season, like May, the wind can do that. So if you've got warm water on the surface, the wind coming from the west can blow that warm surface water up and it will build up here uh, you can get enough well yeah but we don't typically get that this early in the season that's that was surprising and then some of the people were following on Twitter and Facebook there was doing some uh, sub bottom profiling over in the Kalamazoo area looking for a roller coaster
2: yeah, I think he's seen pieces of it before and was trying to get, but it's been in a very weedy area, and so he was trying to get a better better lay of the land before the weeds started coming up, which was a very smart move.
0: Now, what's the story behind this roller coaster? Is it...
2: As I understand it, there was an amusement park uh, along the beach, and when they abandoned it, I guess they just bulldozed it into the lake. Oh, Oh, like I you know what you're
1: talking about now. I know what you're talking.
0: Yeah, all like an, all industrial projects you don't want anymore. Just push them in the water.
1: Well, it was a really, really neat place. They actually, um, I know the place, I dove that uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and what that was one of the few places they actually had a tethered hot air balloon that they did parachute jumps from. And this is in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And if you look at some of the postcards of the of the area, uh, it was quite extensive and quite, quite, quite nice. It was really popular up until the end of World War One, when people got back in from the war, cars were becoming more available. And people then started going different places as opposed to staying local, right. and that's when it lost its popularity. You know the maintenance of it, and basically what happened is a lot of stuff. When you're we're done, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Put it in the water.
0: Yeah, that's sad, but that's just the way the world changed.
1: Well, it really hasn't changed. It's the same thing. They just haul it to a bigger dump. <laughs> I, take a look at the ones in, well, Water Valley and every place else. Well, you can anybody... bet your buttons. If you didn't get penalized, people would be tossing stuff back in the river again.
0: Yeah, if we if we don't keep the eyes on it, somebody will will try and do that.
1: Right. Right now, we just use the ocean.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, that's
1: true. Well, Jim, you got a dive coming up this week, don't you?
2: Well, actually, we went up yesterday, and Richard dove, and I was just standby by in safety for him. We had a uh, valve on the friend's goodwill that needed to be. Re- Excuse me. We had a valve on the Friends Goodwill that needed to be checked out, and we thought it was leaking. So Richard got under the boat and plugged up the through hull fitting, and I disconnected the valve. And then we brought Richard to the surface, and we double-checked it, and it was not leaking. So that was one job. And then he did a search uh, for a piece of the bomb that we thought had been left on the bottom, but we found out the salvage crew had recovered that. So he didn't have to do anything there. And then he finally checked out a floating dock that doesn't want to float in one corner. And we found out the flotation material missing. So that explains <laughs> that. Anybody so. take pictures? Um, no, you know what? We didn't. I should have.
1: Yeah, I can update Actually, uh, No, I take that
2: back. I take that back. I think Bill took photos because Bill came out and was there. Which Bill? Bill T.
1: Okay, gotcha. I thought I heard you guys talking about that.
2: Yeah, he came out, met us up there, and actually he was spotter for Richard when he was diving. I had all my gear set up on the dock, you know, so I could jump in and go if we needed to, if he needed a hand in the water. But I was inside the boat taking care of the plumbing. Richard was outside the boat plugging the hole, and Bill was standing on the boat spotting for Richard and acting as communications. Cool. So turned out to be a you know decent dive. I think he said it was uh, fifty-two degrees. Fifty-two. Yeah, water temp was fifty-two.
0: Wet water. I, I no.
2: He I was over this. in his dry suit. It's amazing the the runoff in the rivers is been very warm so right now and i think that's circulating back and making the that may account for why the the head was warm
0: or a lot of people peeing
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: would account for the tinge to the water yeah
0: wow this is just unbelievable maybe this is are we going to have a warm lake this year now could this could it be something a little bit uh more that uh since the lake froze over that it actually kept it from cooling down as much
1: well, it can only cool down to what thirty four thirty three thirty four well thirty two we,
0: well, we've seen that in the uh the lakes like when we dive lake sixteen if you get there and you're diving it in the late fall and there's no ice on it, it's like thirty six to thirty eight all over, but once you get that ice on the top, it seems to be forty to you know thirty nine to forty two under the ice, yep, so I wonder if this might be the same thing that's going on that the ice across the top of the lake kind of you know you don't get the evaporation and you've got the ice so that's only forming at the top you know it can only get to 32 so you don't have sub optic sub arctic winds cooling and churning it up so it you know maybe it'll be a warmer lake this year
1: okay with me yeah
0: yeah weird how cycles like that can work
1: yeah well, let's see what that did if that's warmer how the cracker mussels liked it and how the uh other little the gobies uh, appreciated it, and maybe the Asian carp. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if it's good, it's good or not. I wonder what it'll do with
0: the visibility. If we get warm quick, do you think we'll see less visibility or more?
1: Well, they said six feet out there. Jim, what you guys have in the river?
2: Uh, he had just under three feet, but that's a pretty dirty river. Yeah, most of the time.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen it much better than that.
2: No, we had about three feet in the river
1: uh, last weekend too. Well,
0: Jim, you have anything to plug? You want to talk about the preserve at all?
2: Yes, I do. Um, thanks to Darren's excellent work, we have a new website at Dive Michigan. Well, hang on a second. It's late. I think
0: it's Dive
2: Dive SWMUP dot com,
0: which stands for South Dive Southwestern Michigan Underwater Preserve. So yeah,
2: Dive SWMUP dot com. And in that, we've got uh, a page for memberships and our membership fee is $25. Uh, and if you get a basic membership, we will send you a membership card. That's good for right now. We've got 26 air fills and we hope to still add some more to it as time goes on but our supporting dive shops throughout the Michigan area have uh, donated air fills so all you have to do is take your card in and get your air fill and they'll cross off their number on the back of the card uh, some shops have donated two some four one shop donated six air fills so well worth the $25 donation to the preserve and the donations help to fund shipwreck searches and buoying the wrecks and other dive sites that we have we've got a new dive site this year which will be that um, canyon we found mac and i located it last year uh, Claybank, south of stevensville so we've got to get a buoy on that and we want to do some more mapping on that this year see if we can get a better description of what that is, but we definitely want to get a buoy on it this year. And the state uh, preserve committee is working on a buoy permit that would let us buoy every wreck in our preserve next year. So hopefully that'll all get put through this year. So we're trying to buy, you know, build up some funds so we can buy some buoys and put the, we, we really would like to put the nun buoys up there, the official diver, you know, shipwreck buoys that uh, they have in some of the other preserves.
1: I'd like to recommend strongly that you contact Kevin Ailes, A-I-L-E-S, and get pictures that he has taken recently of the Henry S. Court, Mm -hmm. the shipwreck, the Helen, the city of Green Bay,
2: which is right down our ship. He's been diving a lot on uh, Uh, the shallower wrecks.
1: Yep, uh, because he even snorkeled a couple up at Silver, uh, Silver Lake the mm-hmm. uh i think he also did the minch so he's got some good pictures that i think he would be more than pleased to let you guys have and in addition to that would be probably correct and current gps coordinates
2: oh no. yeah we gave him some some numbers last year and helped get him pointed to these wrecks and so uh i'm sure he'll share with us
1: yeah. and that woods lake down there in kalamazoo is interesting but you do need to get out there when the weeds are up because it's a pain in the ass and if you're grubbing wear really good gloves because the bottom once you start getting below that first silt leg is uh, heavily infested with nails iron glass you name it
2: mm. A lot of old dumping.
1: Well, there's a there's a swim area off of it that I've been out metal detecting before and out into the dirt off the beach. Uh, once you get past that first bit of sand, they must have put some new stuff down. It is strictly crap, Up. meaning you could cut yourself badly.
2: Good to know. Thanks.
0: Always good to be careful when you're diving those types of locations. So, yeah, like uh, Mac and Jim had said, if you've got any GPS coordinates or photos for anything that's in the preserve, we'd love to get a, a copy of those. And there is a contact form on the website that you can uh, reach. I think it goes to you, Jim.
2: Yes, it will end up coming to, to me. So, so yeah. I'm getting ready to send out acknowledgments for people who bought their memberships today. Uh, send an email acknowledgment thanking them and then get the uh, membership card in the mail tomorrow, I hope.
0: Let's see. For those of you who don't know where we are by now, which you should, we are on scuba scubaobsessed.com. Follow us on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed and on Twitter at scuba obsessed. We do uh news curation on the scuba diving industry and activities. Let's see, seems like we got something else to
2: plug. Well, I got another thing to plug. Sure, Actually a couple things if you Yeah. Um would like to find out how much interest there is. If we were to hold a Nautical Archaeology class here in Southwest Michigan, we're going to do one up to Traverse City in July. uh, That's a two-week program that would give you your Level 1, Level 2, and some of your Level 3 classes. But We were thinking about doing a one-week Level 1 and Level 2 NAS class down here in Southwest Michigan cost would be around $500 for the two classes, 250 for level 1, 250 for level 2. We'd have opportunity for you to dive on max rec and do some uh, two-dimensional sketching, which is one of the requirements of the class. And there's also some, um, got to work out, some shallow uh, snorkel or land-based for anyone who doesn't want to dive but still would like to get the nautical archaeology certifications. So if you're interested, uh, drop me a line. That's jims at scubaobsessed.com or respond to Darren and he can forward it on. We'd like to see if we could get six to ten people interested and we would hold the class.
0: Hmm. Any idea in what time of the year that class would be?
2: Well, we're hoping we could get it in late May or June. Oh, wow. uh, you know, Just throw a, you know, put a one-week class together. So if you've got a preference to when you'd like to do it, we'll see what we can put together. And then the last piece of this, which goes along with it, we're looking for an underwater archaeologist to work with us and to help us with the excavation and documentation of MaxRec. We're well on our way to getting our permits approved, um, but we have run into an obstacle in that we must, or we, the state wants us to have an underwater archaeologist. Uh, as project leader, so the NAS certifications are good, but they're you know kind of like the difference between an EMT and a surgeon. So we'd like to see if we've got any underwater archaeologists that would be willing to work with us this summer for a you know we'll, we'll put them to work as much time as they want to donate. So we're seeing if we can pull these pieces together for this summer.
0: Sounds good. Look forward to it. So. You can contact Jim there at the Preserve. Gosh, I feel like I'm forgetting something. I I, I say that every week. Well, I lose
2: my mind occasionally, but then again. Well, where can we find out more about Scuba Obsessed?
0: Oh. Well, hopefully you've uh, gone to iTunes and subscribed. We're also on the Stitcher Smart Radio. If you haven't tried Stitcher, you can uh, go to, I believe it's stitcher.com. And when they ask you to register, you can put in the term SCUBA, and that will give us credit for you signing up. Uh, we also are on the WRVO Radio Network, so radio.com. And I believe that's in TuneIn. So you download the TuneIn app, and you can get live ra- Internet radio on your smart mobile devices. I probably go on for hours of different ways to get a hold of us. We're also looking for feedback. So if you want to give us feedback to show, go to the show at SCUBA Obsessed. And then also, we love those five-star reviews. So if you give us a five-star review on either iTunes or TalkShoe, we certainly appreciate that. Are you guys ready for that time of the show? Absolutely. That's the highlight. I'm ready. The highlight. Okay. Well, I've, I've I've got the last week's one, which would be embarrassing if I told that one again.
2: You got the one I sent you earlier, right? Yeah.
0: That's the one? Good. I like that one.
2: Okay. Is,
0: is that the one? Should, I, should we do the last one? That one, Jim?
2: The one I sent you today? Yeah. yeah I think so. I think yeah. I think tonight's a good night for that one.
0: Okay. A diver walks into a bank wearing all his scuba gear and approaches a teller. He can see from her nameplate that her name is Patrick Whack. Miss Wack would like to get a $30,000 loan to take a dive vacation. Patty explains that he will need to secure the loan with some collateral. Frogman Fred says, sure, I have this. He produces a tiny porcelain elephant, about an inch tall, bright pink, and perfectly formed. Patty looks at the diver and asks his name. The diver says his name is Frogman Fred Jagger. His dad is Mick Jagger. And that it's okay. He knows the bank manager. Very confused. Patty explains she'll have to consult with the bank manager and disappears in the back office. She finds the manager and says, There's a frogman named Fred Jagger out there who claims to know you and wants to borrow $30,000. He wants to use this as collateral. She holds up the tiny pink elephant. I mean, what in the world is this? The bank manager looks at it and gives and says... It's a knick-knack, paddy-whack, give the frog a loan. His old man's a rolling stone.
1: I like that
0: one. <laughs> I had too much a, pressure on that one. I was I, convinced I was, was going to screw it up.
1: That's not a god-awful one. That's a good one. <laughs> uh,
0: there, there's about four people, I think, who got it. <laughs> of course considering we got five listeners that's probably a pretty high percentage yeah so until next week go out there and get wet
1: and stay safe
2: and remember your nursery rhymes